Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. As we start up three hours of me yapping with you with the Rolling Stones in the background, we welcome you to the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. My name is Greg Rakestraw. I get my weekly turn to educate, entertain, and inform you between now and 3 o'clock. I say weekly, I don't get that next week. And there was much rejoicing. Yay! I'm back with you, I think, on Tuesday, July 11th. Next time I am doing this. It is something a little bit of downtime for me. Something a little extra time off next week will not be the worst thing in the world. Obviously, from a sports standpoint locally, it is one of the few quiet times. There is that potential for something in terms of free agency for the Indiana Pacers right around the corner. Again, it's not exactly a a massive free agent class. And of those that are hitting the free agent window, there, there, there's nobody that's going to be linked with coming here. Let's put it this way. All right. And you've got free agency and those that you think might be potential trade moves. Obviously, Dame Little would, would be amongst that. And you've got James Harden, you know, Draymond Green. Don't think he's coming here. Paces of a need for power forward. Don't think that he is coming here. I think he's pretty much going back to the Golden State Warriors. Um, and... and Again, it's it's you know Kyrie Irving that is a part of that mix. They're not in play here. But there are secondary targets and names that are about to pop. And there is a local product that is going to be hitting the free agent market. As in the pride of North Central High School and one year at Indiana University. That being Eric Gordon, who has, I want to say quietly, um, but he's had a really good NBA career that is now going on 15 years. But the Clippers announced, or it was announced for the Clippers, I'm not sure who broke the story, um, uh, earlier today that they are not going to pick up his $20 million option for the coming season. And he is now a free agent. And I, I hate to be that guy that always brings up the local player. You know, this this is now, you know, like the delay, delayed reaction version of why didn't the Pacers draft Trace Jackson Davis last week? Really don't want to be that guy. I don't care where you're from. I care that you can win. However, this is a case where maybe, just maybe, a homecoming, a chance to wrap up an NBA career in your hometown and be a guy that could be a contributor off the bench. Does this actually make sense? So on that front, we'll talk to another North Central guy that knows his Pacers, that being Scott Agnes, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the show. Another name that I saw pop yesterday, I was like, eh, don't know if I'm all hot and bothered about this one. We'll talk to Scott about that later in the program as well. That comes up during the 2 o'clock hour. While we are speaking hoops, that is something that you've got the opportunity to go watch at a couple of different sites as a couple of great leagues just tipped off this week. If you're up on the north side, go to the Mojo Fieldhouse, the Mojo Up Fieldhouse up in Noblesville. 
and you can watch the Dizzy Runs Pro-Am. Kyle Guy puts that together. Kyle played over in Spain this past year, and he will join us during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. If you're downtown, go over to the Bonner Fitness Center on the campus of Tech and go watch the City League, which has both men's and women's basketball. They tipped off last night as well. There's great hoop being played at both locations, and I am lucky enough that I get to broadcast both finals of those events. Uh, the Cal Guy Pro-Am, the Dizzy Runs Pro-Am, would be on Friday, August 4th. The City League doubleheader is on Thursday, August 10th. But if you are needing your hoop fix, there's an opportunity. And, you know, get to see players you have seen play high school ball here, college ball here, play professionally and are playing professionally now in a lot of these cases. This is your chance to see them like no worse than like four or five rows away. This is your chance to be up, up close and personal with the Stars. You've got numerous opportunities to do that. Cal Guy will join us coming up at about 2.30. We'll talk to him about what his life was like in Spain, where he's playing this coming year, year two of the Pro-Am, et cetera, Kyle, during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. Seemingly, when I have been in this chair, at least since the month of May was over, for whatever reason, like my appearances on the show have like coincided with a weekend off in the IndyCar series. And IndyCar may be something, and kind of do a secondary uh, level Formula One. You know, so many things that I watch from a sports standpoint, I watch in part because, like, I have a connection to it. Like, hey, I know I'm going to be talking about this on the air. As much as I enjoy it, it is part of my job. Like, for example, uh, I did my best to keep my eyelids open as long as I could last night as the U.S. was playing St. Kitts and Nevis. Okay, A, I had no idea it was pronounced Nevis until about a week ago. B, I knew it was a pair of islands. C, I had no idea the population of these two islands, which are their own country, by the way, equals about 50,000 people. James, if you would not mind, look up like a list. Jimmy Cook, by the way, is who I referred to as James. Hello, my friend. It's going to be working with you on this Thursday afternoon. If you could look up like the, or maybe I can even just, as I'm doing it here, if you want to look it up, fine. Like list of cities in terms of population in the state of Indiana. I want to see what basic Indiana town that the U.S. men's national team was playing. All right, if I get to 50,000, show me more. See the top 10 that pop up on the screen, me like Gary stops at like 69,000. Let me see if I can keep scrolling here down. 50,000, boom. Jeffersonville. 49,494. So the U.S. men's national team played the city of Jeffersonville last night. And not surprising, won by a score of 6-0. Jesus Ferreira, who lights things up against, you know, lesser competition. He had four goals in a match against Grenada last year. Three goals against St. Kitts and Nevis. To his credit, like he would score the goal, like not celebrate. He's like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I love the way in which he handled that. But I bring that up and saying, hey, I was watching that last night because I wouldn't say I had to, but I am the host of Soccer Saturday on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. When I'm watching IndyCar after the month of May, when I'm watching Formula One any time of the year, I'm actually watching because I genuinely enjoy it. Well, Kurt Cavan will be with us coming up at 1.30. Of course, you know him from trackside on Tuesday nights 
since like the fan was started 15 years ago. Of course, he has covered the IndyCar series. I'm pretty sure dating back to when Mario and AJ were wrapping up their careers some 30 years ago. He writes these days for IndyCar.com. Did you know he's a realtor? Seriously, a realtor. A realtor perform. Uh, Kurt Cabin will join us coming up at 1.30. But something that has your attention, which is the combination of sports entertainment, but not sports entertainment, that's professional wrestling, would be the Savannah Bananas. Now, I have heard of them over the course of the last few years. I happen to have a good friend of mine, he and his wife, they're empty nesters, they decided they wanted to relocate, they moved to Savannah, so I start hearing about going to see this team called the Savannah Bananas, who at the time uh, played you know, summer college league baseball. There's a bazillion of those leagues across the country. Like, for example, there's the Kokomo Jackrabbits. They play in the Northwoods League. Then there's Terre Haute and Lafayette. They play in the Prospect League. I think there's a team in Richmond. There's like a team in Whiting. There's a team in Jasper. Um, there are teams. There's like four or five different leagues that have teams in the state of Indiana. So there truly are a bazillion leagues across the country. But they were different in terms of how they would play the game, how they would, um, in, in terms of the rules, the entertainment value, uh, et cetera. Well, the Bananas decided, you know what? We're just kind of going to go on our own. And in addition to playing our home games in Savannah, we're going to start to tour the country and bring Banana Ball to the masses. I'm not sure the length of time it took them to sell out two dates at Victory Field or if they originally put one that said, okay, we just sold out in like an hour or something, but we're going to go ahead and put a second date and it's packed. Uh, A friend of mine posted that like the secondary ticket market for for the Bananas game coming against the Party Animals, by the way, uh, tonight and tomorrow night at Victory Field, their ticket's going for like 230 bucks to go watch their brand of baseball. So I started looking and scrolling along the the website and going, all right, who is a person I could have on the show that seemingly would have a good grasp of this? And there's the guy that wears the yellow tuxedo. Um, I'm not sure he's my type of fella. I just just, just get the vibe. I'm like, eh, probably better I don't talk to him. Um, But then I remember, hey, wait a minute. A buddy of mine, as in... Lance Marshall, baseball coach at Franklin College. I remember him posting, I think one of his former players actually plays for the opposition team, the Party Animals, and he does. His name is Sam Claycamp. He is from Columbus, finished his career at Franklin in 2019, spent a couple of years playing in different independent leagues, spent some time last year playing in Schaumburg, but got hooked on with the Party Animals animals now i'm not sure if they're like the washington generals of the operation like like i'm not sure if the party animals are allowed to win um but we'll talk about this with sam and in fact sam will be joining us in the very next segment of the show so that is the rundown in terms of guest day we may be adding one more got a bit of a hole in the show at about one o'clock i'm kind of reserving it for Someone else that was in the news in local sports over the course of the last four or five days. I made contact with them, 
I don't have a definitive hard confirmation. Yes, I'm available at 1 o'clock. If that happens, we'll add a fifth guest. I'll tell you all about it as soon as that happens. So that's kind of the topics you know that we're talking about from a guest standpoint. If there's something else that you want to discuss, feel free. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. But here is something that caught my attention because uh, it happened last night. And it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that it had happened. It was the fact that it had been so long since it had happened. And there was a perfect game last night in Major League Baseball. Domingo Herman was the player, and I believe I'm saying his name the in the proper fashion. Uh, Jimmy Cook nods accordingly. Not because he is some massive baseball fan, but because he likes to make money off of watching baseball games, hence the Jay Cook you know, play of the day. And so I, I was not stunned there was a perfect game, but what really stunned me was the fact we had not had one in 11 years. So when I saw that stat fly by, I go, wait, is, is that right? Because we were starting to have perfect games like all the time. But the last person to throw a perfect game was King Felix. Felix Hernandez, Seattle Mariners, August of 2012. So I go, huh. Again, that doesn't seem right. So then I start scrolling back, and then I realize there was a span of six perfect games in three years. Mark Burley. I remember being in the car listening to Dallas Braden throw a perfect game on Mother's Day of 2010. Roy Halliday, the late Roy Halliday, threw one. Philip Humber, uh, who the only reason he's notable is the fact that he threw a perfect game in 2012. Matt Cain and Felix Hernandez. So I said, okay, I said, in this era of more people swinging and missing, in the era of the three true results, a walk, a strikeout, a home run, you would think there would be more perfect games in baseball. And that the fact there has been 24 of them in the history of the game and two of them predate 1900. It's crazy to think about. But in this era of, you know, more swings and misses, in this era of, hey, we, we literally have to change the rules of the game. And I am a fan of changing those rules, of speeding them up, of limiting only two infielders to a side, uh, of of making the bases bigger. Um, I... I I would counter by saying making the strikes a little bit bigger to make hitters be more aggressive in terms of swinging. That would be my counterbalance, but I'm a person that has liked the rules changes implemented by Major League Baseball this year. It's still stunning to me that it's been 11 years since a perfect game was thrown. And I went back and counted. I think the number of no hitters is now around 320. So you literally have like less than 10% of those no hitters turn into perfect games. But there have basically been 40 no hitters thrown since the last perfect game now domingo herman has his own issues to deal with he missed half a season was suspended because of a domestic violence issue with his girlfriend which now is his wife bears saying that and also had to serve a 10 game suspension for a foreign substance in his glove that was this year and i think the last time he pitched he gave up 10 runs in three and a third innings so there's, uh, I'm not here to celebrate the triumph of Domingo Herman, But to me, that was worth noting because A, it doesn't happen very often. But B, when I saw that it had been 11 years since the last perfect game, 
that was a little bit jaw-dropping to me. So clearly worth a mention. But it also just kind of reminds me of this is kind of what we do in terms of part of what makes baseball unique, part of what makes baseball special. You're investing time, and maybe you say this about all sports, but seemingly in baseball, you're investing two, three, four hours to see these little moments of greatness or these little moments that are so unique. Like, and I haven't had a chance to read the article yet, but Jason Stark, very respected baseball writer for many years for ESPN these days, you can catch his work at The Athletic. And, you know, basically says that, that you know, the Ellie Dela Cruz cycles, one of the most thrilling th- things he has ever seen in baseball. My God, I thought Sadak was going was gonna to have like a medical situation as he was calling that triple last Friday night in the victory against the Atlanta Braves. But it's things like that that you see, I want to say once in, a, once in a generation sounds like too much, but something like that like once a year, once in a, in a decade as far as a fan of a particular team, you know, it's, it's those stories that you talk about in terms of the sport of baseball. I thought that clearly merited a mention off the top of the show. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and apparently I'm on an athletic kick. That's what it's been my reading uh, du jour. It's caught my attention over the course of, of the last couple of days. But there is an MLB draft that comes up next weekend. And you have heard us uh, reference uh, from time to time what Max Clark uh, has the possibility of doing. And we have thrown out that the native of Franklin had a chance to be the number one pick. It doesn't seem like that is going to be the case. Kind of most mocks are heading in a different direction. But he also apparently is going to be able to say, I'm going to be the first high school player selected in a draft. And as the college season ended on Monday, with a bit of a laugher between LSU and Florida, uh, it's become clear that Three of the players that played in that final championship series of the College World Series are going one, two, three. And so a name that you could see here at some point, Paul Skeens, uh, because the Pirates have the number one pick in the draft, a star pitcher for LSU, maybe good enough where he doesn't pitch long, if at all, with the Indianapolis Indians. But Skeens appears the favorite to be number one of the Pirates. Dylan Cruz, outfielder LSU, number two of the Nationals. Uh, Wyatt Langford, outfielder from Florida, number three to the Tigers. And Keith Law, I would say, uh, maybe hasn't done as long as Jason Stark and has more of the uh, executive background and not the writer background, but very well respected, very well connected, very knowledgeable in terms of baseball circles. Who does he have in going forth to the Texas Rangers? Max Clark, Franklin, Indiana. So as the MLB draft rolls around coming up here and uh, I believe it's next Sunday is when it gets started. Um, keep that in mind. And there's been a lot of conversation about potentially Vanderbilt for Max and that's up to he, his family to decide. But kid, they're going to draft you fourth. Here's a nickel's worth of free advice. Uh, go take the contract and go play in Major League Baseball. You can always work on that education at a later date. So another thing that I thought was worthy of a mention off the top of the show. So again, we're going to talk some basketball because, well, it's Indiana. It's what we do. We're going to talk some baseball. Well, because like 4th of July is next Tuesday, and that's kind of what's going on right now. And we're going to talk some IndyCar because, well, 
and Indy's kind of in the name. It's Indianapolis. Maybe one more guest. And plenty of time for your telephone calls, your tweets, your emails, too. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter, 317-239-1070. Email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com. The Savannah Bananas and the Party Animals. They may be the stars of the sports scene locally the next two nights. One of the party animals you'll be seeing on the field happens to hail from Columbus and Franklin College. His name is Sam Claycamp. He joins us next. It's Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I got a feeling that our next guest has heard this song a time or two during his baseball career. Maybe it gets played tonight at the Savannah Bananas Tour Stop at Victory Field tonight and tomorrow night. And I believe you're not buying a ticket from the box office. Uh, it is secondary ticket market only. My guess is that Sam Clay Camp has had just a few uh, telephone calls, emails, and texts asking him for ducats to tonight's game, and he joins us now. Sam, thanks for hopping on the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. How in the world does one end up being a party animal from a baseball standpoint? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a longer story. Um, so the Savannah Banana started out as a college summer team. Um, in a wood bat league. So after guys are finished with their college season and they need need to get at-bats and innings to throw, um, they would go play in a league like the Coastal Plains Baseball League. And that's where the Bananas originally started. Um, and that's where I got started with the Bananas, actually, in 2018. Um, so I played a full season with them in 2018 in the College Summer League. And then um, Jesse Cole, the owner, had this vision of a different – style of baseball and that's where banana ball came about and well we needed another team to play so that's where the party animals came from and just being a veteran guy they moved me um across to the other dugout um so i helped kick off the party animal club um and that's where we're at so now we're touring all over the nation and kind of taking the baseball world by storm and away um so that's where we're at. All right. So um, are, are the party animals allowed to win or are you like the Washington Generals? Like, do the bananas have to win every night? No, absolutely not. Uh, actually, the party animals right now, along with the tour, we have a winning record. Nice. Um, I couldn't tell you what that record is off the top of my head, but we have a winning record. And we win the majority of the nights, actually. So we have a really solid team and a fun and entertaining team along with it. All right, so you party 22 hours a day. You're serious about your baseball uh, for the two hours that that you are on there. Um, This could be the entirety of of this segment of the show if I said what was different and unique about what it is you guys do or the rules or how you play differently. Give me some of the highlights. For those that are unfamiliar, what makes your game so different and so special? So our game is so fast-paced. Um, it's completely different pace than a normal baseball game and the show never stops. So even in between innings when it's typically, you know, usually a big league game, they'll have a little promotion between innings, but ours is a huge promotion. So all focus goes to that part of the show. Um, we've got a band that's going around the stadium all through the night. Um, walks is a, a walk is a sprint. So <laughs> ball four, the runner's taken off. Every player in the field has to touch the ball before that ball becomes live. Um, there's no mound visits. There's really just no downtime. So if you, if you catch a game, 
I almost promise you, you're even going to miss something because there's so much going on all at once. And it's just an entertaining show. And in the four years I've been a part of it, I've not one time heard somebody that they were disappointed with the show. So it's pretty, it's a pretty special game and it's pretty cool. And you guys have a two hour time limit. Is that correct? Or does that even come into play because of how quickly things happen? That is correct. We do have a two hour time limit, but I think this year it's only coming to play one time. Um, we've actually finished the nine innings under time, under the two hour time limit every game except for I think one. So, and this pretty, is it's pretty fast paced. This sounds like something that would be like a a a, a Will Ferrell semi pro ask, uh, but but it fits for you guys as well. How many dance numbers are you a part of during the course of the game? So. I'm a player coach at the party animal, so I coach and play. Um, so I, I don't do too many of the, the scheduled dances. Every now and then I will. But for the most part, I'm in all the run celebration dances. Um, so it depends on how many runs we score. But I do a lot of impromptu dances when I'm coaching first or third base. So any song that comes on, I'm just kind of going with the rhythm and making dances up from your days as a franklin college grizzly how were your dancing skills three four five years ago <laughs> not near as good as they are now <laughs> i never never thought at the time i would be dancing on a baseball field and sure enough that's what i do from my job now so it's pretty neat all right a, a buddy of mine again i made the washington generals comparison a buddy of mine spent a year playing for the generals just to kind of have ha, have the experience and, and and literally see the world see this country it was kind of unique to him then he said you know we would play a straight up game usually as a scrimmage every day and then obviously there was the show so on a right. game day like are you, are you taking ground balls are you spending time in the cage are you working on a dance number? Because, you know, I, we have like a specific window we can talk to. You know, you're busy kind of from 1240 on. What's the rest of this yep. day going to look like if you before first pitch at 7 o'clock? So you can compare this to basically any minor league or major league game. Um, we have our BP. We're getting extra ground balls. Um, we, we do have to work on dances, um, different celebrations that are scheduled on the day, promotions that are scheduled. We, we work on all of it. We rehearse the whole game essentially before the game happens. Um, but just like minor league baseball, the thing is about us is there's so many trick plays and abstract things that we do on the baseball field. I would say we even have to spend more time practicing the baseball aspect than a normal minor league team would. So it's pretty pretty crazy. Our day, our game day schedules are pretty wild so how how long is the season going to be for you guys because again being in savannah you can play a little bit longer when you're kind of on your own world tour you can set your own schedule uh, you know we're used to minor league baseball being 140 mlb being 162 how many games will you and the bananas play against each other this year so we have a 95 game schedule um starting february first it started february 15th or okay. something like that and it goes all the way to september 16th i believe is the last day and obviously so. a lot of cool places but this is the closest you're going to be to home uh what does the right. ticket request look like for you tonight how many people have reached out and asked for tickets knowing what the market looks like i don't know if i have a specific number but it's a lot um, <laughs> i know i know there's going to be over a couple hundred people tomorrow night for the Friday night game, there will be several hundred people there that I know, yeah. uh, which will be pretty crazy. 
tonight, it'll probably be somewhere between 50 and 100 that I know. Um, I wasn't able to get everybody I know tickets. Unfortunately, the show just sells out too fast, and it's too hard to get tickets. So, If I had told you four years ago, as you're playing your last season for Lance at Franklin College, that this was going to be, again, you, as I, I said in the last segment, you got to play independent ball in Lexington uh, two years ago, Schaumburg last year. If I had said this is going to be your professional avocation, you would be doing the baseball slash entertainment thing, what would you have said to that four years ago? I would have told you that sounds awesome, <laughs> but I have no idea how that's going to work out because yep. there's nothing like it. And it's 100% true. There is nothing like it. and It kind of just fell on my lap. It was, just, uh, it was a God thing, and God put me where I needed to be at the right time, and here I am. So. And th- then the follow-up to that, Sam, is how much longer could you see yourself doing this? Um, Currently, that's hard to say. I mean, I love it enough to do it for the rest of my life, uh, but – who knows? You know, I, it's hard to say. It's, it's a great gig, and I love it, and I appreciate every moment I get on the baseball field. But you know how life is. We never know. Understood. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I, I, again, I got, I, got, I got a lot of friends that, that know you in Columbus and, and, and know you in Franklin. To be able to play a game this close to home, just what is it? I, we talked about the ticket demand, but just knowing that this is a place you grew up going to games at and probably had a chance when you're Franklin College days to play a game or two at Victory Field. What's it like to be here these next couple of nights? Um, I, would, I would say it's up there in the top ten moments of baseball that I've ever had. Um, and the game hasn't even happened. I'm just there's a lot of anticipation. Um, I'm super excited to play in front of people I know, and it's it's just it's very special. I can't thank the people around me enough to that want to support me so bad, um, and I'm appreciative for a lot of them to come out. Um, coming to support me so it's very exciting sam i know you're busy buddy we'll let you go man go have a fun couple you're gonna have fun wherever you play uh that's part of the gig but especially being here the next two nights playing in front of a packed house at victory field sam thanks for the time i appreciate it thank you so much for having me i appreciate you you got it sam clay camp again of the party animals he'll be playing against the savannah bananas and has a winning record against the Savannah Bananas so far this year. And again, thanks to my buddy Lance Marshall, the head uh, baseball coach at uh, Franklin College for setting that up uh, and wanted to get him on the show. So, Jimmy, are you amongst the lucky few thousand people that were able to get tickets for Banana Ball on Thursday and Friday? No, I will not be a part of Banana Ball, that, that Would that have been your cup of tea? And it's okay to say no. It's okay. I would have been interested in going mainly for my my younger nephews. It would have been maybe cool for us all to go as a family. But like Sam alluded to, uh, tickets are a gauntlet to try to attain for the Savannah Bananas, and we were not successful. You know, I'm curious. You know, he said they're going to play a 95-game schedule from like the middle of February uh, all the way into September. Um, You know, at, at what point? Do you get that critical mass of it's too much travel for the players, you lose the entertainment value, you, you see the law diminishing returns. In other words, if you're playing 95 games this year and you're getting this level of return on investment, this level of interest, you know, do you bump that up next year? And again, this this clearly, and I'm sure there have been, you know, barnstorming tours back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. What used to be a staple of like every minor league team was having the parent club come play them 
in an off day, and that has now kind of gone by the wayside. Like, I think of the Reds coming to Bush Stadium and playing the Indianapolis Indians or or other teams like that. Those typically don't happen, you know, anymore. And I can think of, like, you know, Max Patkin. I can think of the San Diego Chicken. Um, but this is something that is unique. And obviously, the, the ultimate parallel is the Globetrotters, and they have been doing this for generations. The bananas are just getting started. But, uh, you know, we, we don't often use zeitgeist uh, on uh, uh, on a program such as this. But seemingly, that's an organization that is having their moment and has captured the attention of fans across the country. And again, for tickets, secondary market, kids. That has been sold out for quite some time. We'll take this quick time out. If you're going to the game tonight or if you've seen them play before, I would love to hear from you. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter or email the show greg at 1070thefan.com. I've already got one guy on Twitter saying, um, hey, Eric Gordon, I hope you play somewhere, but not with the Indiana Pacers. He illuminates here. He lists the reasons why, and we'll go over that in the next segment of the show as well. Kurt Cabot at 130, Scott Agnes at 2, and former NCAA national champ Kyle Guy coming up at 2.30. It's Greg Rakestraw, The Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, Jimmy Cook with you between now and 3 o'clock. Of course, JMV at 3. He's got another of his tavern tour stops. Where? I'm putting you on the spot because you don't produce that show. I know this. Where is one? I know where John's going to be tomorrow. He's the same place that I am going to be. Uh, He's going to be at the Indy 11 W League match up at Grand Park. Where is John going to be today as Jimmy shakes his head? I mean, going, I don't know where he is going to be. It's a wonderful question. He and was at walk like ons on downtown yesterday yesterday. I can literally like hear like the promo and I have completely spaced it. He's not here. I mean, he's gonna be here on the air. Don't worry. You're gonna get to hear him at three o'clock. But I'll do some investigative journalism. I can sit in this here chair and not have to move it to prank him at three o'clock. So it would do me no good if I moved it around. Sam Claycamp of the uh, Bananas and Party Animals joined us in the first hour of the show. Kurt Cavan in the next segment of the show talking all things IndyCar and the upcoming race weekend at Mid-Ohio. Scott Agnes at 2, Kyle Guy at 2.30. You on the phone lines right now. 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. And as I always tell people, you can always text me on the bat phone, and I will uh, play that around. All right. Of course, who do we go to when we need a question answered around here? Scotty J, Scott Johnston. John's at Irias today. There you have it. As always, need to spend more quality time uh, with John. Um, so you want to talk about the Isaiah Rogers news. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, this popped about 30 minutes ago. As expected, indefinite suspension for Isaiah Rogers will be eligible to apply for reinstatement. That's probably not the exact terminology, but he's got an indefinite suspension that will at least be for the entirety of the 2023 season. So as expected, no Isaiah Rogers for the Colts this year, and what is not exactly a position of strength is now officially even a little bit weaker, which again is what we expected over the course of the last two or three weeks. Uh, from I wouldn't call this breaking NBA news, But Eric Gordon, released by the Los Angeles Clippers today, uh, and basically, release may not be the proper term, technically it's what it is, but the team had a $20 million option for him 
this past season. He had spent the last six to seven years with Houston. And for the first couple of those years, that meant he was playing for a team that legitimately had a chance of winning an NBA title or playing deep into the Western Conference Finals. For the last couple of years, that meant that he was just kind of playing out the string. Uh, Was acquired by the Clippers at the trade deadline this year. Played in 22 games, averaged 11 points a game. Shot 42% from three-point range. Played in their playoff series, played five games, 30 minutes a game, 10 points a game, 35% from three-point range. Greg Rakestraw, Jimmy Cook with you between now and 3 o'clock. Of course, JMV at 3. He's got another of his tavern tour stops. Where? I'm putting you on the spot because you don't produce that show. I know this. Where is one? I know where John's going to be tomorrow. He's the same place that I am going to be. Uh, He's going to be at the Indy 11 W League match up at Grand Park. Where is John going to be today as Jimmy shakes his head? I mean, going, I don't know where he is going to be. It's a wonderful question. He and was at like walk-ons on downtown yesterday. Yesterday, I can literally like hear like the promo, and I have completely spaced it. He's not here. I mean, he's going to be here on the air. Don't worry. You're going to get to hear him at 3 o'clock. But I'll do some investigative journalism. And I can sit in this here chair and not have to move it to prank him at 3 o'clock. So it would do me no good if I moved it around. Sam Claycamp of the uh, Bananas and Party Animals joined us in the first hour of the show. Kurt Cavan in the next segment of the show talking all things IndyCar and the upcoming race weekend at Mid-Ohio. Scott Agnes at 2, Kyle Guy at 2.30. You on the phone lines right now. 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. And as I always tell people, you can always text me on the bat phone, and I will uh, play that around. All right. Of course, who do we go to? We need a question answered around here. Scotty J, Scott Johnston. John's at Irias today. There you have it. As always, need to spend more quality time uh, with John. Um, so you want to talk about the Isaiah Rogers news. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, this popped about 30 minutes ago. As expected, indefinite suspension for Isaiah Rogers will be eligible to apply for reinstatement. That's probably not the exact terminology, but he's had an indefinite suspension that will at least be for the entirety of the 2023 season. So as expected, no Isaiah Rogers for the Colts this year, and what is not exactly a position of strength is now officially even a little bit weaker, which again is what we expected over the course of the last two or three weeks. Uh, From I wouldn't call this breaking NBA news, But Eric Gordon, released by the Los Angeles Clippers today, uh, and basically, release may not be the proper term, technically it's what it is, but the team had a $20 million option for him this past season. He had spent the last six to seven years with Houston. And for the first couple of those years, that meant he was playing for a team that legitimately had a chance of winning an NBA title or playing deep into the Western Conference Finals. For the last couple of years, that meant that he was just kind of playing out the string. Uh, Was acquired by the Clippers at the trade deadline this year. Played in 22 games, averaged 11 points a game. Shot 42% from three-point range. Played in their playoff series, played five games, 30 minutes a game, 10 points a game, 30, 35% from three-point range. 
And again, I don't want to be the guy that goes, hey, he's the local guy, bring him home. Because Lord knows every market does that, and we are guilty of doing that here too. So uh, uh, let me acknowledge that faux pas off of the jump. But when a guy is getting ready to enter his 16th year in the NBA, and he's never had the chance to play at home in terms of on a regular basis, stops with the Clippers twice, with the Rockets for several seasons, with the uh, Pelicans, maybe it's even the Hornets when he first went there, um, you know, for several years. He has literally been in the Western Conference the entirety of his career. Does the idea of maybe playing a season at home sound like something would be good to him? Probably. But Fowler hits me up on Twitter and says, dude, this makes zero sense. We got Matherin. We got Nemhard. We got Duarte. We got Buddy Heald. We got Reed Shepard. Needed to trade out some guards, man. Gordon makes no sense from position, age, or salary. Pacers need long wings, not 6'4 combo guards. Fowler, you make some pretty good points. But you're looking for a veteran presence. You've got cap space, I wouldn't say to burn, but I think the Pacers have the fifth most cap space before signing a, p- a pair of first-round draft picks. And, and frankly, they're still going to have a, a good amount of cap space even with having picks you know, 8 and 26 in terms of Walker and Shepard. But I, th- I think it's at least worth discussing. Because these days in the NBA, you cannot have enough three-point shooting. And Eric Gordon shot 41% from three-point range in 57 games last year, as in the previous season. Was down around 35% in 47 games for the Houston Rockets this past season. Gets shipped to the Clippers, 42%. 37% from three-point range for his career has never had a season where he has averaged less than double figures. And again, you're talking about a short-term deal, a one- or two-year deal. Talking about a guy that you know is coming off the bench. The names that you just listed, Fowler, in terms of your tweet, Matherin, starting, I think. Nemhard, don't know if he's your starter, maybe. Duarte, we all tend to have like seemingly forgot about him after you know one kind of so-so year in terms of injuries. Buddy Heald, again, I'm I'm very much pro Buddy Heald and having him back for this season. And then Shepard, Shepard's a guy that again he's into the first round. Frankly, it was a pick you were looking to move, and again you took a guy because of his shooting ability. I'm not so so sure he is a guy that you are factoring your future plans around. If he can come help you, great. That's found money at pick number 26. If he does something for you there, so be it. Would I like to see them go after another free agent wing or try to work a trade for a longer wing to give you some, uh, some insurance in terms of Jarris Walker? Yeah, I would. But I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that might be a move that would actually fit for the Indiana Pacers. Just something to keep in mind.
317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, Greg at 1070thefan.com. Um, you know, Jimmy Cook is going to be like like the the you know, the, you got the good angel and then the not so good, the opposite of an angel on your shoulder. He's gonna be my voice of reason, my conscience on the program today. Does Eric Gordon do anything for you? Or should the Pacers say, nah, let's not stumble down the road of bringing the hometown hero home for a last hurrah after 15 years in the NBA? I mean, it would depend on the two biggest things in contract negotiations with his money and salary. Of course. I agree with you. The conversation around the city, and I agree with the, the tweeter to some extent, is there is an influx of players at that position right now of what the Pacers are going to do. But when you look at who would be in theory on the floor during a second unit. I would see Andrew Nemhard potentially leading that charge yeah. as a point guard and then having Eric Gordon potentially as a two guard in that rotation look. And I wouldn't necessarily be mad about it. There still needs to be decisions made on what happens with TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte. But if the money's right and uh Spotrack gives him an evaluation of about 18 million, that might be a little too rich yeah, I get, for my blood. I think you could get a hometown discount, but there, frankly, get, to be honest. If you could get that type of discount, I don't think it's an insane idea to right. explore those I think waters. it's at least worth kind of kicking the tires on this and sure. saying, all right. And really it comes down to, because we're all bullish on the future for the Indiana Pacers. But do we think this is an NBA championship contending team in the next year or two? No. How much do you think Eric Gordon has left in terms of his playing days? Probably a year or two. Then it comes down to, all right, are you more interested? And, and, and there's not a wrong answer of this question I'm about to ask someone that's not on the air with us to give us an answer on the topic. And that is, would you like to come and play a, a year or two at home to, to kind of round out your career? Or... Do you want to go join up with the Warriors or the Suns or the Celtics or insert team name here? And do you want to go chase a championship? And there is no fault in terms of doing that. So the Pacers are in this unique spot where, again, once you add the rookie contracts of guys like Shepard and Matherin, they're going to be at about $103 million in terms of their salary cap and their payroll. They don't have a lot of spots left. They need, they need to kind of just not move guys from a salary standpoint. They need to kind of m- try to move a player or two just to be able to kind of you know clear a roster spot, not only cap space. But at the same time, if you, if you bring in a Gordon, do you bring back a George Hill? Do you bring back a James Johnson? I don't mind having a couple of veteran guys that know I'm not going to get to play very much. I am basically a a glorified and very well-paid assistant coach. I'm okay with that because, frankly, you're going to have a 9, 10, 11-man rotation. You basically, I think, have 16 roster spots and then, th- and then the three two ways, I believe, is how the roster math shakes out for the Indiana Pacers and for everybody in the NBA. So I'm not, I don't have a problem bringing in both James Johnson and George Hill. If you bring in Eric Gordon, maybe only bring back one of those guys. Breaking news on the Colts front for me and Rappaport. Uh, Chris Ballard has released a statement. Rodgers and Barry have both been cut 
And his statement is, we've made the following roster moves as a consequence of the determination that these players violated the league's gambling policy. The integrity of the game is of the utmost importance. As an organization, we will continue to educate our players, coaches, and staff on the policies in place and the significant consequences that may occur with violations. There you go. By the way, I'm reading this from the Action Network. Largest wager placed on the account Isaiah Rogers was using was a $1,000 bet on the over-under for rush yards for a Colts player. And it won. Did he take the over? Uh, Does it not, say that? <laughs> not, not sure. Um, but again, that gets to inside information. And that also then gets to, again, what is... You know, tragedy may be too strong of a word here, but it gets to the whole just just shake your head about this for a thousand dollars. And again, it, I've heard reports of other wagers being twenty five and fifty dollar wagers. For that, you've cut you've cost yourself a spot in the National Football League. So um, the the whole move about being cut, I understand the message that is trying to be sent. You know, by the team there, um, but you know they're not going to play for this team. Period. But both players officially waived by the Indianapolis Colts today. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. You can email the show to uh, Greg at ten seventy thefan dot com. You want to talk about whether it's the Isaiah Rogers story? That's fine. Talk about. Eric Gordon, could there be a homecoming for him? That's fine as well. In terms of the other teams that have a similar amount of cap space to the Indiana Pacers, Charlotte, who's now in in a rebuild mode with new ownership, San Antonio, they're in the Victor Wembayama mode. But do you think any differently about Victor Wembayama because he measures at seven foot three and a half? Instead of seven foot five, I think he's going to be okay. Detroit, and they've been in a rebuild mode for about 15 years now. And then Houston, a place where Eric Gordon was just a year ago. Those are the only teams that have more cap space than does the Indiana Pacers going into the incoming season. Again, for the Pacers, it's 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 unique because we think they're on the precipice of being good of being back to being a playoff team. I like the core they have assembled. They have the money, and frankly, they kind of have to spend a certain amount of money to get to just the salary floor. And you got to do that. Last year, you could kind of do that when the season, like during the season, hence the Miles Turner extension that happened in mid-year. You can't do that this year. You have to be at that number by the time the season starts. So not only the Pacers, they're going to spend, they have to. They have to spend money. And I think they clearly want to. There's criticism in terms of what they were able to do or not do on NBA draft night seven days ago. I think the Pacers wanted to do more. They didn't like the prices they were being asked to pay. And I'm a big fan of not doing a deal just to do a deal. So, I, again, I, I think the Pacers planned all along. They're going to get Jairus Walker somehow, some way at 7 or 8. Okay? I really do. because I, I, So many people had him as a fit with the Indiana Pacers. I always thought – I didn't think that pick was going to be in play. But the Pacers were going to move around their other picks as best they could and try to get what they could for them. 
I think they got to him at 26 and said, all right, we're taking Ben Shepard. And again, that that's not the bag on that kid at all. You, you know, they, I'm sure they were, I mean, my God, they had 65 guys come in for workouts. They were well scouted. They knew what to expect. But again, they got a went out and got what is the premium and always has been in basketball, but seemingly we all acknowledge it a lot more than we used to. And that is when all else fails, give me a shooter. Give me a guy that can knock it down. And that's what they think they got in Shepard. Now, that means going to be a guy that gets regular playing time. I have no idea. I have no idea. But that's, again, part of the reason why I don't think it's crazy talk that potentially Eric Gordon could be here. But if there's more size that can be brought in, a guy that can be that stretch four, a guy that can be that that longer wing that is brought in here, would that player be more of a priority? Yes, it would be. And will we see that play out? over the course of the next couple of weeks? Yeah, we will. Because, again, there's there's not going to be this great amount of movement in free agency. And, frankly, the guys that are on the move are like the guys that, that frankly, I've grown tired of. I mean, how many years have we talked about a new destination for James Harden? We've kind of had that story, right? How many, year, I mean, how many years we talked about a new, destor, new destination for Kyrie Irving? We've kind of had that conversation, right? Draymond Green is different. Draymond's been with the Warriors you know, since day number one. But you can't stand him unless you know he's on your team. Then you love him. You know he's not coming here. Those are the names like Chris Middleton, like Fred Van Vliet. And again, Van Vliet would be a guy that would not come here for a lot of the same reasons that that listener on Twitter hit me up and saying, dude, Gordon's not coming here. It's different for Eric Gordon. One, because I think he'd be willing to accept a coming off the bench role, which there may be a need for this team. But secondarily, again, the lure of coming back to Indianapolis. Not a free agent destination to most. Potentially different if you are from here. So we'll keep that conversation going. Scott Agnes at 2 o'clock. We'll keep that conversation going with you uh, throughout the course of this program. Obviously, we'll keep following what's going on with the Indianapolis Colts. Again, the suspension officially handed down just after 1230. Indefinite suspension for Isaiah Rogers. Spent the last three years with the Colts. Rashad Berry, who is a backup uh, linebacker for the Colts. And within the span of an hour, both those two officially waived by the Indianapolis Colts as well. Wouldn't have played here this year definitively not playing here this year for the Indianapolis Colts. Back with more in a moment. Kurt Cabin at some point next segment. Talk all things IndyCar weekend at Mid-Ohio and more. It's Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Kurt Cabin coming up in just a matter of moments. It's Greg Rakestraw, part of the cavalcade of stars that is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The constant of that is one Jimmy Cook. Jimmy, who are you working with tomorrow on the program? Be myself and Brian No here on a Friday. Fantastic. I figured he'd have a more of a working knowledge as to when I quizzed him on, hey, where's JMB today? And Jimmy's like, he's not my responsibility. I don't know. John will be at Iria's. And I guarantee you there will be numerous Rick Majerus stories told between 3 and 6 o'clock uh, today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The stories that we have told so far have involved this team called the Savannah Bananas that are playing at Victory Field each of the next two nights. The party animals have a local 
That's their opposition, by the way. Sam Claycamp from Columbus, as well as Franklin College. Uh, and he'll be on the field, coaching first base, dancing to the hits, etc. if you're lucky enough to be able to watch. If not, they broadcast their games on YouTube. And I know this because, for those of you watching, again, I'm going to make Jimmy go insane by pushing away a microphone. I'll talk louder, Jimmy. Jimmy, don't worry. Um, ISC. We produce most of the events at Victory Field. I say most because we're not producing this one. Anyway, um, so that's why I have a little bit of a working novel just to where you can find those games online. Uh, That was a topic in the first hour of the program. Isaiah Rogers indefinitely suspended uh, by the National Football League, summarily waived by the Indianapolis Colts today. Uh, Eric Gordon will not have his option for $20 million picked up by the Clippers. Is he a fit with the Indiana Pacers? Those have been the primary topics of the show today. And Jimmy did a good job of this in the last segment. Um, I figured it's worth repeating again. A very quick release and to the point from the Indianapolis Colts. Colts today waived defensive end Rashad Barry, who again also suspended indefinitely by the league. He was here for all of one game last year. And cornerback Isaiah Rogers. We've made the following roster moves as a consequence of the determination that these players violated the league's gambling policy, said general manager Chris Ballard. The integrity of the game is of the utmost importance. As an organization, we'll continue to educate our players, coaches, and staff on the policies in place and the significant consequences that may occur with violations. Pretty cut and dry. You cannot do it. By the way, um, I do have another guest, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, book him for one. Keep calling Kurt. You're good, but I nothing like hearing me type in the background. But because this is like juggling, can you really do two or three things at one time? So a special bonus guest will be on in the next segment of the show. 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com. Although, we're going to be like guest heavy now, the next four segments of the show. Uh, This one uh, I had arranged as of yesterday. Always a good conversation when I catch up with my buddy, the pride of the Pulliam School of Journalism at Franklin College. This is the second Grizzly on the show today. It's Kurt Cavan that joins us now. Hello, my friend. I think probably the older of the Grizzlies, but that's okay. I, I don't mind being second. You are a bit more grizzled uh, of the two of you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that much. Um, how's the real estate market, by the way, today? Well, you know, real estate's moving. People just have to be convinced that uh, interest rates are renting. You rent the interest rate, and then you buy the house. So you want to get a good house, and you worry about that interest rate you know, later. So Kurt Cavan, real estate mogul, in addition to knowing all <laughs> things IndyCar for IndyCar.com, of course, co-host of Trackside, which because the holiday next week is on Wednesday. What is the real estate like at Mid-Ohio coming up this weekend? Well, what will be interesting is they're talking about some rain this weekend. And rain races are always fun for everyone, but uh, maybe those sitting under the umbrellas. But it does create different conditions and it's more than just you know how the racing surface is it is you know strategy and you know being how aggressive can you be so it's always fun to watch some drivers are better in the in the wet as compared to the dry just like some drivers are better on ovals and road courses so 
it certainly mixes mixes things up to some degree, and, and that's fun to watch. The season that Alex Pillow is having, um, the, the most direct comparison would be the season that Dan Weldon had, um, I want to say in 05 at this point, because it is rare, maybe a Scott Dixon campaign or two, that someone has this big of a lead at this stage of the season. Uh, kind of your thoughts about comparing those two years nearly 20 years apart. Well, I think Weldon won four of the first five races. The real difference in there is that Weldon won the Indy 500, and and Pelot did not. He had a he got contact on pit road, taken by by Renus VK, and then had to battle back, finish fourth. He still probably should have won the Indy 500, but he didn't. So that's the real difference here from a. From a point standpoint, he's got a big lead. Obviously, there's still nine races to go starting with this weekend. Uh, he can be caught, uh, but he is off to a, a really strong start. And you're right, that's probably the best comparison because we've had 17 straight years where the last race of the season has determined the championship. There isn't another uh There certainly isn't another motorsports uh, series which has had that much I don't want to say parody, but competition is probably the best word. Well, since you bring up another motorsports series, um, it is, I wouldn't say obvious, but it's apparent that Alex Pillow is starting to get attention in another open-wheel motorsports series, the one known around the world, of course, in Formula One. And obviously that is a destination that he'd like to go to at some point. What is that path looking like for him in 2024 and beyond? Well, certainly he thinks he has options and he would like to have as many options as we all would in our employment. We'd like to have as many options when we're looking around for jobs. And this is one of his options, or at least it could be. The problem is these are not with the better teams at the moment. I mean, at least probably for next season. And if he's going to join, he's probably join one of those smaller teams. He's probably going to have to bring some budget. And that has not been his at least his hallmark. Uh, so if he doesn't have budget to bring, then he's probably not a candidate for some of those uh, jobs in the back half of the field. Not that these aren't good jobs and so forth, but he's probably going to have to have budget to go with it. And and to my knowledge, he doesn't have that at the moment. So is, is his job then going to be at McLaren just domestically in North America, not, not in Formula One? Well, at least for next season, McLaren appears to have, unless they do something uh, transactionally, they, they've got two drivers. Their two drivers are set for next year sure. unless unless something rare happens, and it could happen. But I would think if he goes to McLaren in 24, it would be an IndyCar ride, perhaps with an eye toward 25, in Formula One, but it looked like IndyCars is only McLaren option next year. And to some degree, uh, silly season's already started uh, with the move to replace Connor Daly with Ryan Hunter Ray a couple of weeks back by Ed Carpenter Racing. Um, is is making room for Pillow at McLaren uh, the the next domino to fall? Is that simply adding a car for McLaren for next year? What's the next potential move you're seeing in the paddock? Well, I think Pelot's situation is supposedly, you know, we went through this last year with Pelot trying to de- determine who, whose contract he belongs to, and Ganassi has it at the moment. To my knowledge, he can't, and what was said previously, is he can't talk to anybody uh, still for an extended period of time. So that's going to have to be on the burner a little bit. The other one is last year's Indy 500 winner, Marcus Erickson, 
And his due date to decide to go back to to Chip Ganassi Racing in 24 apparently hinges on August 1st. So I think that's really the domino. He wants to be a paid driver in this series. And not that he doesn't get paid, but he doesn't want to have to bring budget sure. to the team. And and so there there does seem to be a couple of options, at least one, and that's probably Andretti Autosport if if he wants to uh, just be paid but you know how, it's going to be tough for anybody especially him to leave ganassi racing after he's finished first and second the last two indy 500s and been a championship contender both years so that's a really good ride you'd hate to give that up for it for a for a ride that hasn't been of that ilk the last couple of years there's 27 more or less Full-time entrance in the IndyCar series right now, which is wonderful. That, that, that's a great stat that we'll throw out. Of of that 27, like what's the percentage of those that have to bring some level of sponsorship check to them versus those who simply handed the keys and said, this is your ride, we'll find the money, go get them? Well, it's a difficult a difficult question to answer, one without knowing the contract. Sure, of course. But, but let's take somebody like Tony Kanaan, who in years past has had connections to budget, and that made it easier. You wouldn't consider him a ride, you know, his ride depending on sponsorship, but it certainly made it easier to hire Tony Kanaan because he was able to sort of backfill the, the program with his own sponsorship. So that's a difficult thing to, to say, but I would say with confidence, half of the field uh, is just showing up and, and driving uh, driving the race car without any stipulation whatsoever. And it may be a little bit more than that, but uh, but my suspicion is it's it's about half. Again, Kurt Cavan of IndyCar.com, trackside with Cavan and Kevin here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Who is in need of a good finish? You, 27 guys would raise their hand uh, for Mid-Ohio this weekend. Who needs the result more than most coming up on Sunday? Well, well, we talked about this kind of situation, which we don't. We talked about on on Monday, uh, Tuesday night's trackside that this year seems to be a more haves and have-nots, or the have-nots being those in need of help, right? <laughs> more than normal. Normally, we see the depth being pretty pretty healthy. We have several teams, um, and you can go down the list. Ray Hall's team, Meyer Shank Racing, Ed Carpenter Racing, Hunkos, uh, Dale Coyne Racing, to some, you know, largely A.J. Foyt Racing, although they were outstanding in Indy. But all of those teams feel like they could use something good going for them. Uh, I think if I had to single one out, I would go with the Meyer Shank team. Yeah. They are based an hour from, from mid-Ohio. Uh, they've got Elio and, and Simon Pagano, who really need good results. The future of, of those drivers in those seats next year in IndyCar seem to be in question. So I think Elio or Pagano, along with the Meyer Shank team, would probably be the one you'd choose. Has something changed in terms of they, you know, we, this is seemingly more of a NASCAR thing than IndyCar, but it applies here. There's always been kind of a technical partnership between them and Andretti. Has, has that changed in the last couple of years? I don't think it's changed. I think, you know, we saw we saw Meyer Shank do pretty well as a one car team, and yeah. then they expanded last year to two full time cars. They were two the previous years on a, on a limited basis. The year Elio won the five hundred, 
and it's really difficult to pinpoint, you know, what a team has issues, and that's true of all sports. But particularly in this one, it's you just can't say it's a driver. You just can't say it's the it's the crew. You can't say you know, there's just all kinds of factors. It's really difficult to pin it on something, but it does coincide when they went to two full car, two full time cars, and you know, you just wonder had that stretched them too much, and. um so it's very difficult to know unless you're on the inside, but that, that'd be a place to start. All right, let's go back to a, a venue. At least that's that was the conversation around America two weeks ago. Um, it sounds like there could be races at both Road America and the Milwaukee Mile in the not-too-distant future. It sounds like there is still some things that need to be taken care of at the mile for it to happen. I'll let you take the ball and run with it from there. Um, what's the likelihood of, of a couple of Wisconsin races going forward? Well, I think that it's better than, you know, it's at least 50-50. It's, and, and the odds are good because everybody kind of knows each other from the standpoint of, you know, it's not like it's a new venue. I mean, IndyCar has a long, great history there. There have been a couple opportunities here in recent years to run at Milwaukee. Michael Andretti had a group that tried to promote races up there, and it just struggled from an attendance standpoint. And so you just wonder about that. I don't have any fear about Milwaukee and Road America coinciding. They're about an hour and a half apart in distance. But, you know, these are two great historic places to race. And IndyCars have proven time and again that those are two terrific places to race. So I think if if you can make the numbers work uh, on the promoter side at Milwaukee, then IndyCar will be back there soon because we need more ovals. It just and it's such a great place, an easy place for Indianapolis uh, area people to get to. It's it's really a popular location. What you writing about this week, my friend? Well, I just write about all of this. You know, it's such a fun time of the year. It's the halfway point in the season. Some teams are are excelling. Some are struggling. But we try to look at uh, all those things on IndyCar.com. And, and it's, uh, you know, we're going to have a NASCAR race at the Speedway coming up here in a few weeks, along with IndyCar there, and a sports car race later in the year at the Speedway, which will be uh, certainly fun and, and different for in the middle of the fall. So a lot of things happening at the Speedway and in, and in IndyCar. Uh, as always, my friend, thanks for the time and the perspective. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, buddy. See you, Rick. You got it. Kurt Cabin, again, IndyCar.com, our guest. All right. Um, the fifth guest that I had kind of teased up at some point in time happening, I was waiting for me to call him at one o'clock. There was a bit of a miscommunication there. I apologize to him. Here is a phrase I never thought I would say. Happy Gilmore joins the show next. If you haven't heard the story, we'll explain. Back after this on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Tremendous, tremendous musical pull by you. To pull a song from the movie. Wise beyond your years, Jimmy Cook. Happy Gilmore is 27 years old. Not the one we're about to talk to, like the movie. Jimmy, how old are you at this point now? 28, 29? 28 and a half. 28 right? and a half. <laughs> so you were how old when you saw Happy Gilmore for the first time? Probably somewhere between three and five. I can't remember the part of that. But, uh, but Adam Sandler was a big movie fan in the uh, in that Cook household. Love some good Adam Sandler movies. Billy I- Madison, Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy. I would have been 19. The movie came out. I would have been a sophomore at UND. I mean, you got, went to go see it at the Dollar Movie Theater on the south side. I actually worked at Subway. I had a Happy Gilmore Subway poster that somehow got lost, absconded, ripped up at a party, something along those lines. Man, if I could have kept that. 
Oh, well. Why am I bringing this up on a random Thursday at the end of June? Well, it's the end of June. But also, and I'm sure you probably heard this by now, Ball State has signed Happy Gilmore to be a college golfer. I think a year from now, by the way. Um, and no, this is not the J.R. Smith story of like, you know, a guy going back to college in his 40s or 50s to play golf. No, Happy Gilmore actually is a student at Bloomington South and a very talented golfer. And he joins us now on the Fan Midday Show. Happy, how are you? And congratulations on uh, landing at Ball State. Thank you. I'm doing well. How about you guys? Oh, we are good. And for those that don't know, uh, Happy is a nickname. His given name is Landon, but as soon as he picked up a golf club, the nickname became Happy, and obviously it's stuck over the course of the last decade. What has this last week been like for you? I mean, it's been uh, pretty crazy. Um, committing to Ball State was just, I, you know, I thought committing to Ball State would probably have been about the craziest thing of the week, but obviously that wasn't it. Um, getting the retweet from Adam Sandler is kind of incredible. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why we're having on the show now. I first crossed your name, I think, last year in the state finals, and I, I am saying it correctly. You're going to be a senior at Bloomington South next year, correct? Yes. Okay, so you've got one more year to be class at a, a 20, 2024 down at Bloomington High School South. Um, so what what level of blow-up was the phone when when all of a sudden you look down or somebody tells you, dude, Adam Sandler just gave you a retweet? Well, I, so at that point, I already had shut off all my notifications because <laughs> just between Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it was I had to. And I just happened to like look down and it came across that Adam Sandler retweeted it. And so I luckily saw it right when it happened. And then, oh my gosh, like everyone I knew started texting me. Uh, and then everybody and their brother has been doing a story about this. So I, I guess how many interviews like this one have you done talking about this so far? Oh, I don't know. I've <laughs> lost count, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Two minute account, huh? Yeah. All right. So so I, I guess at what point in time, because again, I, I, I'm reading the story from the Indianapolis Star and talking about the nickname kind of got applied to you about the age of six. At mm-hmm. what point in time did you kind of were able to kind of figure out what the nickname came from? In other words, how old were you when your mom and dad, et cetera, actually let you watch the movie of Happy Gilmore? Um, I think when that when I got the nickname, I'd already watched the movie a couple times, so yeah. I knew I knew the name right away. And, and obviously, and, and and you're used to it. You're comfortable with it. Is it now weird when somebody calls you Landon? Does anyone ever call you Landon now? Not really. Um, my mom, maybe when she's like mad at me. But <laughs> yeah, I, everyone I know calls me a happy. So if I do get called Landon, it's honestly a little shock. Sometimes and, I won't even acknowledge it because it's just I'm so used to hearing happy. Yeah, everybody else gets mom gets middle name treatment. You get first name treatment uh, from your mom. <laughs> and then I, I think I've seen the bag that has happy on it. Do you have like a, a, a favorite story from somebody seeing your name on the bag when you're playing someplace and they're like, you know, come on, seriously. And you have to explain to them exactly what the story is here. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily a favorite story that sticks out. I always do find it funny when 
I'll go play at my home course at uh, Fowl in Bloomington, and I'll get paired up with, like, a random person. I'm with my buddy, and they're always quick to introduce me to other people and say, <laughs> oh, this is happy. And the look that people get when they look at my golf bag and see that name, they – no one believes it. It's just, it's always funny. Uh, so you have to like like have like like a show like a proof of ID. No, this is really my name. This this is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this this is what I've got. Um, all right, and and I mean I realize that this is like a year away from you, but you are now entering this this era where a college golfer can get more than a scholarship. Uh, I saw the tweets coming in immediately. Hey, Subway, sign this guy to a deal. Um, are you thinking about the name, image, and likeness aspect of this already, even though it's a year down the road? Um, yeah, I've thought about it. Like you said, I'm in Indiana. I can't sign anything yet right. until I graduate. So I've not really thought about it a whole lot, but it's definitely crossed my mind seeing all those tweets and everyone tagging all these companies like Subway and Volkswagen and all every, every – uh, company you see in the movie i've been tagged in so <laughs> I, I i dug the boston bruins sweater i saw the again the picture in Indianapolis. that's a great shirt uh that, that you got with that um 27 mm-hmm. years ago happy was going to get free subway for life is that good enough for you or are you open for a little cash mixed into that too i'll as much as I eat, I'll take free food. <laughs> free Subway it is. Or oh, we got happy free lined Subway. up for it. All right, so with that, why was Ball State the right place for you? Um, well, I know a few of the players that are already there. One of them was my old teammate at South my freshman year, and so that helped. I talked to Coach Fleck a few times, really like him. And then when I went on a visit, I kind of liked the smallness of the school. Mm-hmm. It's not too big and overwhelming. And then they have a really nice indoor facility because obviously it gets really cold in Muncie in the winter. <laughs> and their schedule. They play a lot of big-name big, big name teams and good teams. And so, I mean, overall, it's just kind of everything I was looking for in one place. Yeah, I know a couple of the guys. Cash Beller, really good player out of Peru. Uh, Carter Smith, yeah. I had to go to high school with his dad, so I know him very well. Uh, and I know they had a, a good season, played out in Lance Ringler's NGI event at the end of the year uh, out in mm-hmm. Arizona, w- which was cool to see as well. What's the major going to be for you a year from now? Um, I'm not 100% sure. It'll probably be something like sports marketing, business, something like that. But I'm not like 100% sure yet. Clearly, you have gotten a crash course in marketing uh, over the last couple <laughs> of weeks. So you're, you're getting some good uh, applied stuff that you can use a couple of years down the road. A couple quick things, and, and then we'll let you go. I would assume I am not the first person to think about this. I know you have had to try this. Can you run up and hit it with the driver the way that Adam Sandler could in the movie? Yeah, I can. <laughs> well, actually, I've kind of halfway practiced it throughout my life just with the nickname. You have to. Um, yeah. I remember once, funny story, I was at Pinehurst during the uh, Junior Worlds when I was like 13, I'd say, and they had a long drive contest. And they convinced me to actually do the long drive contest doing the Happy Gilmore. I don't remember if I won it or not, but <laughs> I did do the whole entire long drive contest at Happy Gilmore. If, if, if Happy could drive a par four about 400 yards, allegedly, in the movie, um, how far can you hit it off the tee, whether it's hitting it the way you naturally would or living up to your namesake, so to speak? Um, naturally, I, I hit the driver right around 300 Um you know, give or take the weather conditions. Sure. But doing the Happy Gilmore, when I actually hit it in the middle, which hitting in the middle is really hard. Yeah. If you do it in the middle, I would say you could get another 40 
30 to 40 yards out of it if you can actually like square one up that's pretty good that's not bad uh do you ever go out and play in that bruins jersey to play happy gilmore style or in timberland boots um no i haven't quite yet i don't know if the golf course would allow me to do that <laughs> but you did spark an idea i may have to try that one day i mean it, it's not so hot out if anybody could do it i mean you are happy freaking gilmore i mean i, I mean you're the one yeah. guy that i think has carte blanche uh, to kind of go out uh, and and do that all right um the last week for you uh, has not been what is the normal summer for a 17-year-old. you got about a month or so uh, uh, before you, you go back and start your senior year of high school. Uh, how many golf tournaments? What's the rest of your summer looking like? Um, so I fly out July 8th, I believe, to California for the IMG World Championship. And then I'll be out there for like a week. And then I'll drive down to Charleston the July 20th. For the uh, U.S. Junior, um, the USGA Juniors Tournament. And then when I get back, I think like another week or so later, I'll go to Branson, Missouri for an AJGA event. Uh, I am fortunate enough to be able to do the television for the event at Crooked Stick every year. A, I hope I see you in that next summer, potentially, uh, if, if it takes place. But I also know of the miles that you guys put in from a flight standpoint, from a driving standpoint, when you play at a top level of golf. Uh, you are you are on a tour. I'm also, though, very glad that you still play for your high school team because some some players don't, and I'm glad that playing at Wilmington South is, is still very important to you. I, I would assume, and again, you got to worry about a senior year, then you're going to worry about college. I would assume mm-hmm. the goal for you is to play professionally, correct? Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, and maybe one of these days it could be the Waterbury Open. You could be playing for the Tour <laughs> Championship jacket. And there clearly is only one way to finish this conversation. I think you've had enough. Happy. I won't say the other word. We'll we'll leave it at that right there. Young man, I'm so happy for you, man. This is this is a a, a thrill that you've been through these last few days. Hope you continue to enjoy it. And thanks for the time this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You got it. Again, Landon Gilmore. Everybody knows him as happy. Thanks to my buddy J.R. Holmes. You may know him as the basketball coach at Bloomington South. He is also the director of athletics at Bloomington South, and he helped connect me with the family. And thanks to Happy's mom, Kimberly, for corresponding back with me back and forth. Because even though I cover high school athletics on a regular basis, I'm not sure like as a mid-40-something I should be contacting somebody. Start, hey, kid, you want to come on my radio show? But let me go through mom and make sure that this is cool. So, Jimmy, could you imagine being, you know, being happy Gilmore and actually being good at golf? And I love the fact that it's how casually he was like, all right, you had to have done the run-up thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. No problem. I mean, that is that is so cool. Well, it's in the bio, too. On his Twitter <laughs> handle, he, he embraced it right away. Right. Yes, I can do the happy Gilmore swing. <laughs> Tells you how many times he's gotten that one. And, and again, he clearly he has been educated because I, I know the policy you can't sign an NIL deal and maintain your high school eligibility. That waits until college. And frankly, we had a, a variation of that conversation when we had Keegan Rothrock on the show about a month ago before the softball season. I was like, yep, I, I'll, I'll tackle that when I get down to Florida. So clearly, the family kind of knows, hey, um, college scholarship, maybe you get a little bit more than that in Muncie. And I would assume knowing my friends at the SportsLink program, the wonderful student broadcast uh, production arm at Ball State University, Mr. Happy Trees himself, Chris Taylor, and Alex Cartman, 
How about I mean I, I mean I mean there's there's seriously there's gonna be a, there's a, there's a Cartman there's a Gilmore it's a match made in heaven uh, up at Ball State next summer there will be a full documentary on his story by the time he sets foot on campus next summer Lafferty Daniel Gilmore happy senior to be at Bloomington South High School kind enough to join us on the program in case you have missed it we've had Happy Gilmore and the Savannah Bananas on the same show. That's just kind of my speed. Um, Sam Claycamp of the Party Animals joined us, native of Franklin, uh, of native of Columbus and Franklin College. Uh, Happy Gilmore on the show, and Kurt Cavan on the program as well. Now, those are the guests. The topics have been a bit more serious, especially when it comes to Isaiah Rogers being indefinitely suspended by the National Football League and then summarily waived by the Indianapolis Colts this afternoon we can talk about that if you would like scott agnes and kyle guy both set to join us during the two o'clock hour of the show you got something you want to say perhaps twitter email might be the way to go at greg rakestraw on twitter greg at 1070thefan.com is the email address scott agnes all things pacers could eric gordon be a pacer we'll get his thoughts and again there's another name that i saw mentioned yesterday who just played in the NBA Finals. And my reaction was kind of, eh. We'll see if Scott feels any differently on the subject. Back in a moment, 93.5, 107.5, The Fam. Sam Claycamp, Kurt Cavan, Happy Gilmore. Yes, Happy Gilmore just joined the program. Not Adam Sandler, but the guy that has a much better golf game than Adam Sandler does. Would be a senior at Bloomington South this coming year and verbal to Ball State and got a good luck, I'm pulling for you tweet from Adam Sandler himself. Scott Agnes joins us now. Fieldhouse Files, all things Indiana Pacers. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good afternoon, Rake. Hey, thanks for joining us as always. And, and since this is the first time you and I have talked since the NBA draft happened, how things played out on Thursday, how close was that to playing out in which the fashion you thought it would? Yeah, I thought I thought there would be one more uh, deal involving a player. That was They were really pushing hard, I can tell you, in the last couple of days leading into the draft, um, trying to be able to complete a deal with the team, especially Brooklyn with Dorian Finney-Smith. They checked in on Philadelphia for Tobias Harris. Uh down in Atlanta with DeAndre Hunter and at least a couple other teams that they were checking in on trying to use all those assets to be able to get a player that could help them immediately out on the wing. In turn, they were unable to do so. They ended up making three trades, but it was basically shuffling draft picks around and a savvy move to move back that one spot, um, which also reduces the annual salary, by the way, slightly for Jairus Walker. Um, so I thought that was good. I just I think they had hoped to acquire a three throughout that process as well. All right. So with that, are any of those names that they could not lure with a pick on draft night potentially still available with a trade for either a future draft pick, players that are currently on the roster? Um, or, you know, do, do, does a name like Dorian Finney-Smith or a name like Tobias Harris, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Collins, you know, from Atlanta, you didn't mention him, but he's a guy that, that has been moved since the draft. Are some of those names still in play for the Pacers or is Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan moving on at this point? Yeah, I think they're still in play, Rake. The trouble is for each of the franchises, there's a, another step or two that is the priority. That must be kind of maybe accomplished first. 
let's take Brooklyn. Cam Johnson, a guy I know the Pacers and any team would really like, but at what cost? And he's a restricted free agent. To me, that's the first domino that may need to fall for Brooklyn. Then they see how much, assuming they match that contract, uh, what it'll cost for him, and then decide on on Finney Smith, for example. They're very much uh, a team that's in kind of a middle of the road right now after making those significant trades. For Philadelphia, are they able to re-sign James Harden? If not, I would think it's more likely that they move Tobias Harris versus kind of reloading and going into next year. DeAndre Hunter... With with Atlanta, the the situation there is a, it's a team that needs to, needed to get under the luxury tax threshold from ownership. That's one of the big reasons, especially with this new collective bargaining agreement that goes into effect in a couple of days on July one. That really encouraged them to do so, especially as a team that's not a contender right now. It is it is bad business to be paying into the luxury tax when you're not a competitive team, unlike say the Lakers or now the Phoenix Suns will be. So. I expect them to get in on that. I expect them to consider some f- restricted free agents. Um, but right now, they only have one roster spot available. So right. they, they lack the ro- roster flexibility unless they send some players outgoing. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, all things Indiana Pacers. And again, because of the fact that the Pacers are so far into the cap, once you mm-hmm. sign your players, I think they're going to be – between 25 and 30 million under the cap at this point will be the Indiana Pacers. In other words, if they want to take on a Tobias Harris contract, Tobias is going to make $39 million this coming year. Basically, as long as they were to send back 10 to $15 million in contracts, a deal like that would work, correct? I think it would take a little bit more than that. You have to kind of match contracts, not just have the cap space. So it takes a little bit more than that. I think just this is purely hypothetical, but I think in a deal like that, it would be something that could make that work would be like Buddy Heald and Daniel Tice Um, could be the outgoing players. Maybe there'd be some second round picks involved. And here's the real appeal of that, right? Because listeners are probably, holy, what? Like 38 million for for this guy? Well, the challenge to the Pacers have to, to take in consideration, Greg, is the fact that he only has one more year under Correct. contract. Correct. So it's not worth doing just for one year unless you're totally good with sending players away and not getting any value back for sure after this next year. And there is value to that. But at the same time, there's probably better uses for your cap space if you know for certain or really don't know for certain if Tobias Harris would resign here, uh, for example. But the, the, what would be accomplished here is they have to use about half their cap space before the start of the season. That's another change to the new CBA. Normally, it does not matter until basically this date next year. Not not anymore. They really wanted teams to spend going into the season. So you can, for certain, look for the Pacers to spend at least another 15 to $20 million, um, before the start of the season. Uh, but they do have right now about $32 million in cap space, All which right. is among the highest in the league. Correct. So with that, um, let's talk about the local product first that is available. Uh, And you know him well, being a fellow North Central Panther. Eric Gordon's about to hit the open market. The Clippers are not bringing him back on his $20 million option. Is he a fit here? I don't think so, just because of what don't they need. It's it's exactly EJ type of player, right? It's it's the 6th or 5 and under shooting guard. Um, After just adding another one of those and Ben Shepard, as much as we like EJ and would love to have him here, 
I think it's probably better off for both sides not to pursue anything. I was thinking back to about 10 years ago when he was a restricted free agent with New Orleans. He actually had a visit here with the Pacers and considered that. Uh, But to me, for both sides, it really doesn't make much sense. All right, so the name that was brought up yesterday that I'm like, meh, Max Struess. I saw a potential rumor of of three years in in that salary range, $16 million a year. Um, this is what guys who play on NBA Finals teams do. They tend to cash in and go other places. Do you see do you see Max being a fit with the Indiana Pacers? I don't, and really for the same exact yeah. reason as EJ. There, it's this this does not solve any issues. It would get a guy under contract for multiple years moving forward. But you have Duarte, you have. Uh, ben Shepard, and to be determined what they decide on, on Buddy Heald, I, would, I kind of tend to believe they'll keep him going into next season, and then at next year, consider their options there, whether re-sign him or not. But to me, this is not the type of guy they need. They need a much bigger, athletic, lengthy type guy. They need the Harrison Barnes, Dorian Finney-Smith type player, two-way guy, much more than they need more shooters. So we know Rick, Rick Carlisle can never have enough shooters for sure. All right, so with that, who are they going after? We, we, we have listed <laughs> players in terms of trades. I've listed yeah. kind of a couple of rumors. Again, Pacers have money to spend. Who do they have to go target that fits what they're looking for in, in kind of that not in the 2-3 conversation, but more of the 3-4 conversation? Yeah, so let's take the trades out of, out of the conversation here and strictly talk about free agents. The caveat here is you also have restricted free agents to consider. And before last offseason, the fact that the Pacers and Herb Simon really did not like to go after restricted free agents. But Kevin Pritchard said their philosophy has changed and evolved over the last couple of years to the point where I think they would consider doing so a little bit this offseason. It just depends at what price. The guys you talk about there, it'd be in Brooklyn with Cam Johnson, a 27-year-old wing that can space the floor, shoots 39, over 39% from the field. P.J. Washington coming off a career year in Charlotte. We know the Hornets aren't going anywhere. Um, could you, would you be able to pry him from the Hornets? The Hornets are going to have to or plan to make a big offer here to Miles Bridges, who was out of the league last year because of domestic violence type things. I don't see Jeremy Grant going anywhere from Portland, so I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, so for me... I, I could foresee them going after Harrison Barnes on like a two-year contract, and I could see it being heavily favored towards Harrison Barnes, meaning inflated above what other teams to have to offer because the Pacers have that cap space this season. Um, and another guy in restricted free agency I would consider is Grant Williams. A lot of people have talked about Kyle Kuzma. I just don't see that for either side making a lot of sense, um, especially because Kuzma is not a real defender. And what do the Pacers need? wing defenders so that doesn't help a ton so if i had to rank these i'd probably put harrison barnes at the top and then consider making restricted free agent offers to cam johnson and pj washington what would the equivalent of barnes be i realize they play different games because the game is played differently now but when you Mm -hmm. talk about a guy that's been around the league and been on successful teams like barnes has i immediately think of the move to bring in david west you know, 10, 12 years ago at this point. And obviously, that paid immediate dividends. Again, they the game is played differently. They play different games. But compare and contrast those two signings. Could Barnes have a similar impact on a young and developing team that David West did a little more than a decade ago? 
I do think so, especially when you consider his his versatility, his shooting, and you bring in Jareth Walker, who's one year removed from college and really needs an advisor, so to speak, at that position. And maybe then if you bring in Harrison Barnes, that would allow Jareth Walker to be slow played a little bit, much like we saw with Benedict Matherin coming off the bench this past season. Maybe Harrison Barnes starts at the four spot, and that would allow Buddy Heald at the three um, or the two, whatever you want to say, and allow for really Jarris to settle into his position on top of what Barnes is able to contribute on the floor on both ends of the floor, being kind of that six-eight wing. He knows exactly uh, what Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff wants because they were together for a half dozen years down in Dallas. Plus, Harrison spent a year and a half with Buddy Heald and with Tyrese Halliburton Sacramento. So a lot of familiarity and comfort uh, with that signing, which makes this one a very obvious one. Let's say it's Barnes, and let's say that's pretty much it, you know, in terms of rotational pieces. What is a fair expectation for the 23-24 Indiana Pacers if basically their starting five is a combination of Halliburton, Heald, let's say Neesmith, Barnes, and Turner, and you've got guys like McConnell, Nemhard, one of Jackson, Jalen Smith, Jarris Walker, Jordan War. That that's kind of your your ten man group that you are likely to see. That team put together would win how many games? Yeah, I think that'd probably be about your forty five win range. Yeah. And that, that would be the hope, right? From this past season, go from ten wins additional to go from another ten wins, thirty five to forty five next year. That would have put you at the sixth seed this past season. And to me, that's right on track. That would be kind of my expectation. Again, Scott Agnes joining us, Fieldhouse Files. Um, free agency, walk me through the important dates. When, when will things and deals start to actually happen? There's the old legal tampering period that usually hits around <laughs> July 1st, which obviously is Saturday. What's the timeline when deals will actually go down, Scotty? Yeah, so the one thing we haven't even touched on, and I think it's the biggest thing, will be tomorrow evening, 6.01 is the first time and teams can negotiate and, and and have conversations. You also very likely could see the Pacers agree to a, a max extension with Tyrese Halliburton. To me, that's the number one priority here is getting him signed and, and, and part of the future for the foreseeable future. That would add on five more years running through the 2029 season. And so I think that's what the first domino will be. I'm curious kind of what the dynamics of that contract looks like uh, and the various ways in which you can negotiate that. But I, I'm, I would expect kind of a five-year extension. I think that will be that first domino. Then after that, um, teams can meet with, meet with players. They can talk with them and, and agree on deals. A lot of that's probably casually already been of course. done, as we, as we all know. And, and then in another week after that, uh, deals can become official. Teams can talk about them they can hold introductory press conferences and such. And then once we get done with that, then our attention turns to the Summer League. It's kind of our last glimpse of NBA basketball until the end of September, early October. Um, when I glance at the, at the Summer League roster, man, look like, like the Pacers roster, um, you know, which is frankly a good thing in terms of people actually wanting to watch the Summer League games. We will learn what about this group when the Summer League takes place in Vegas a couple of weeks from now. I think we'll, 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 we'll get more of a taste for what Ben Shepard looks like against even better competition, right? I've, I have a difficult time kind of evaluating that when you're sure. playing at Belmont. Uh, I think seeing Jarris Walker against other 
pros and soon-to-be pros at the three, at the four? What's his uh, defensive capabilities look like? I'm very intrigued to see that Isaiah Jackson will at least be part of the training camp. It's unclear if he'll actually go to Vegas and play in any of the games. But if he does, or to see him and Jairus Walker at the four and the five, and what that tandem with athleticism, defensive versatility kind of looks like, that I'm absolutely intrigued by as well. All right, Fieldhouse Files is where you can find it, and uh, basically the things we just talked about is what you'll be writing about. Anything in particular that fans should be looking out in in terms of coming from you these next 24 to 48 hours? Yeah, so over the weekend, I'm going to post yesterday at the opportunity. Talk with Popeye Jones, former Pacers. Yeah. He, was on, he was on the Nuggets staff. We all saw the video at the end of when they won the title of him going up to Jokic and losing his word. He just goes, thank you. Thank you. And the <laughs> yep. joy from his, from his eyes coming out. And so I had a, about a 20-minute conversation with him. So I'll have that up this weekend for subscribers. To, they can both hear and read about that conversation. Very cool, my friend. As always, thanks for the time and making us smarter. I appreciate you. You got it. Thanks, Rachel. You got it. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. I once again bring back Jimmy Cook to be the voice of reason on the program. Uh, my second set of eyes and ears. And I know that 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 Jake uh, Query, morning show, obviously very talented. And when it comes to the Pacers, frankly, very connected. Harrison Barnes is the guy that he has talked about a good deal uh, this week. Scott listed out all the reasons it would make sense. Harrison Barnes to the Pacers. Jimmy, what say you? I would be very happy if that happened. When you look at the immediate need of adding another wing to this team while also taking pressure off of immediate expectations for some of this rookie class, I think he would make a lot of sense. He had another strong year last year in Sacramento, leading again or being a part of another young core, albeit a couple steps ahead of where the Pacers are at. We all know that too well with the DeMontis Sabonis trade. But, yeah, I mean, the, I don't think the money would be too outlandish for a player of his caliber. No. And to be able to fill someone that you could call at any point in time to be a 3-and-D type player, I'd be totally satisfied with that if that's what the Pacers walk away with. I think Harrison team. made in the neighborhood of $20 million last year to kind of give you an, an example. Um, Harrison got to play in the playoffs for the first time in seven years after um, last year with Sacramento. You know, he was kind of one of those guys that, again, played in the NBA Finals, played well in the NBA Finals, got to cash in because of being on an NBA Finals squad, happened to go to Dallas at the wrong time, then goes to Sacramento up until last year. Sacramento was the wrong place and wrong time for about 20 years, uh, but he has been a solid pro. And again, not everything is how you shoot it from three-point range. But how you shoot it from three-point range is one of the things that catches my attention. 37% last year, 38% for the entirety of his career, played in all 82 games this past year. That catches your attention in a very good way. Scott talked about the connections that he has with both uh, Tyrese Halliburton as well as with Buddy Heald. That makes immediate sense. Other thing that, you know, it's one of those things I look at and go, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that because he's been in the league now for 11 years. He's also a Midwest guy. He is from Ames, Iowa. And so the idea of, of again, is it home? No. But other than playing for the Bucks or playing for the T-Wolves or the, or, or the Bulls, about as close as he's going to get to home after playing his entire career in the Western Conference, coming back here might be something of appealing to him. So, yes, that is clearly a possibility. And, you know, it. this is not 
the needle in the haystack of when like you're in the NBA or the NFL draft and your favorite team's going to pick 27th or like they don't have a first round pick. Who are we taking at pick 46? And there's so many different kind of things that have to unlock and permutations and things like that. It's not like that for for this Pacers team. But again, there's the Kyrie, James Harden, um, Draymond Green, leveled Chris Middleton probably in, in, in that classification as well, although I, I still think Chris Middleton's going back to the Milwaukee Bucks. I do. Um, just like Draymond Green's going back to the Golden State Warriors. But it's that next tier. Again, that 15 to $20 million and that veteran, um, and, and frankly, for as good as Barnes has been in Sacramento and as solid as he has been, they've got to have money for Sabonis. They've got to have money for Fox. They're, the, the, the big money is going to go to two or three guys that are not named Harrison Barnes there. And big money here is going to go to Tyrese Halliburton. And uh, since since it was pointed out um, by Scotty on that, Tyrese is still on his rookie deal through next season. So he's got two more years. The qualifying offer is for next year. So a long-term extension would kick in for two years. But this is one of those where it's pretty simple. Hey, you want to be here long-term? Hey, we want you here long-term. Here's the max offer. You good with that? Shake hands and move on. I think that is largely a done deal from that perspective for the Indiana Pacers. 317-239-1070, the telephone number, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Since we're talking basketball, let's talk with a guy that's won a national championship. Mr. Basketball in this state plays now professionally overseas, spent time playing with the Kings organization since we're talking about Harrison Barnes, etc. Last year played in Spain. Last night, Played in the Pro-Am that bears his name. The Dizzy Runs Pro-Am. Kyle Guy is the man behind it, and he will join us next segment. Greg Rakestraw, it's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. To the Twitters we go. I've been pushing the Twitter all day and then haven't like read any of them except for like one, so my apologies. From Nate, people keep on talking about Harrison Barnes and the Pacers. My question is, why are we trying to recreate the 2018 Sacramento Kings? Harrison and Buddy never saw the playoffs together, but somehow we think it'll work here. That causes concern for sure. Well, I would say there are some different pieces put together there. Also tend to have faith in the guy that's coaching him up in terms of Rick Carlisle, but um, it's a fair point. Halliburton, I think, is, is makes things a whole lot different. I think Turner's a different piece for them to have. Um, and again, you're talking about a guy that's going to be asked to play a different role. You're not asking Barnes to come in and be the guy. You're asking him to come in and be a guy. And again, it's it's one of a few potentials. Seemingly, the pieces tend to fit better with him as, you know, in, in terms of both financially and a potentially a desire to come here. But this is going to be a group that that is, I think, less reliant on on. You know, one player, a big two, a big three. It's about coming in and doing your job. The guy that so much is going to be asked for is Halliburton. That's the guy that, hey, here's the guy that makes all the pieces fit and makes everything better. Nate, thank you uh, for uh, um, for the tweet. From Brad Zoo. do we think the change by OG Ananobi to be represented by CAA could reignite any possible trade possibilities? Will that be more? Will that make OG more aggressive in getting out of Toronto? 
I can't sit here and and, and speak intelligently in terms of what I think that's going to do. Um, you know, a change of agent, getting him in or out of Toronto quicker. You know, OG I think has one more year left on his deal, and so the question is now, you know, does the team that that lands him going to sign him to an immediate extension? He's got a second year, but it's a player option at just shy of twenty million. And I'd imagine he is going to opt out. Would he want to come in and sign a new deal immediately? And then if that is the case, you know, what would the Raptors want in return? You know, if if, if the Raptors wanted seven and the Pacers were not wanting to give it to them, the Pacers are going to have two draft picks next year. We both kind of think, or I think both of them are going to be right around the same spot in terms of somewhere around 15 to 20, as in thinking the Pacers are going to make the playoffs. Uh, the draft pick they're going to get from Denver will actually be Oklahoma City's pick, who again will be a borderline playoff team. So if the seventh pick, and I'm not saying Toronto or the Pacers ever seriously you know, got close to consummating a deal on, on OG Ananobi, but if the seven, Pacers didn't want to give that up and that's what Toronto wanted, what means to think that two picks that are behind that and a and a player for a team that clearly is going to rebuild in the Raptors as they're kind of, you know, tearing everything down and, and starting over again. Um, I'm not sure, to be blunt with you. Other thing that, that I want to kind of do here as well, uh, and, and, and Pivot's talking kind of about maybe what the East looks like next year. It's almost like the, the tank – or not to tank standings. In other words, what teams are the Pacers pass in terms of just teams that I don't think want to win next year? The Bucks are going to be good again. Celtics are going to be good again. The Sixers, we don't know. If James, if James Harden really leaves, I mean, you've got this unbelievable piece in Joel Embiid. But what else do you have around him? You're, you're not going to tank if you're the Sixers because you've got Embiid. But now how do you make all of the pieces fit around that? So let's kind of put them off to the side. Okay, the Cavaliers, they're young. They're good, 51 wins. They're going to learn. The Knicks will overachieve as long as as, as Thibodeau is there. Um, so they're going to be fine. The Nets got in based on what they did before the trade. They were a sitting duck by the time they got to the postseason. You think that they're going to come back to the pack. The Hawks are seemingly rebuilding. Trey Young's not going anywhere, but I'm not sure what else he's going to have around him. I would imagine the Hawks are taking a step back. The Heat are not. The Raptors are going to. The Bulls probably will be about the same as they have been. So I see a couple of teams falling back to the Pacers. Can the Pacers make themselves better than the Bulls? I think so. Um, three teams that I think are are, are going to drop down the standings in front of them. So if the Pacers get four spots better, puts the Pacers in seventh. The seventh best record in the Eastern Conference last year was the Miami Heat. That's not me saying, the Pacers are in the NBA Finals. No, no, no. That's just saying what, what a projected win total is likely going to be. You know how many games the Heat won last year? 44. What do we sit there and say that 
we think the Pacers are, are going to do if, if you make maybe the right acquisition in free agency? Right around 45. So in other words, the math kind of checks out. I'd love it if they won more games, and that would be basically a, a, a projection of 10 wins for a second consecutive year from mid-20s to mid-30s to mid-40s. And mid-40s puts you on that 6-7 line about being a playoff team without having to worry about winning a play-in game. And I think that is a realistic goal to set and to reach for the Indiana Pacers coming up for this coming season. Is that with Harrison Barnes? Is that with OG Ananobi? Uh, Scott was quick to poo-poo my Eric Gordon theory, thinking that he was moving on at this point. Cal Guy will join us at some point in time uh, here in a matter of moments. We'll track him down. 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. Um, in case you're just joining us, here's been the show so far. Sam Claycamp of the Savannah Bananas slash Party Animals. If you're not familiar with Banana Ball, well, they're going to be in town, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coverage of them, given the interest in terms of tickets over the course of the next couple of nights. Um, but the Party Animals are their opponents, and the uh, Party Animals have a player coach that happens to be from Columbus and from Franklin College and Sam, and he joined us in the first hour of the show. We were then joined by Kurt Cabin talking all things IndyCar on the show. Of course, Mid-Ohio comes up this weekend. You can hear all the action right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Then we track down Happy Gilmore. Not Adam Sandler. But yes, there is a golfer and a very good one from this state that happens to be Happy Gilmore. His given name is Landon. Everybody calls him Happy. Says so on his bag. He is able to play at Ball State which earned him a congratulatory tweet from the original Happy Gilmore and Adam Sandler again earlier this week. We talked to Happy about that, and Andrew had a nice thing to say on Twitter to me about uh, said conversation. So, Andrew, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And then we were joined by Scott Agnes in the last segment of the show talking all things Pacers. 317-239-1070, telephone number, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. Tomorrow, Jimmy Cook, Brian No. Uh, next time you get stuck with me, not for a couple of weeks, although I'm sure I will make an appearance on the ride tomorrow because John is going to be in my domain. And I'm assuming, uh, given the air quality outside, both for the players as well as for the talk show host, that the idea of, hey, John, come to Grand Park and go and be in the great indoors as we're playing indoor soccer tomorrow night, May not be the worst thing. So what John is going to tomorrow would be the Indy 11 women's team, their W League squad, which is looking to win a second consecutive division championship and make the playoffs for a second consecutive year. They'll take on St. Charles FC tomorrow night at 7. I will have the call. You can check it on the ISC Sports Network, our YouTube, our Twitter, as well as 11sports.com. But John will be there to do his show from 3 until 6, and I'm sure I will make an appearance at some point in time on the program. We'll go ahead and take our, our, our last time out. When we come back, uh, I'll see if I can thump some skulls and track down one Kyle guy, and Jimmy will make you some money 
with his plays of the day. More time for your telephone calls, tweets, and emails when we come back. Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back to wrap it up for the final time here on the Fan Midday Show. Greg Rakestraw in today. It'll be Jimmy and Brian No tomorrow on the program. What, from a guest standpoint, do you have lined up for tomorrow? Or is this, or is this you two dudes yapping at each other to, to end a week? Well, there will definitely be some yapping. Uh, as of right now, we are going to have a Pacers free agency deep dive with Tony East, much like you had today with Scott Agnes, and then efforting a couple other folks on the NBA free agency slash salary cap angle at large tomorrow with some Colts mixed in. Your level of excitement for the upcoming Pacers season would be what? Scale 1 to 10? Yeah. Say, let's say about a 7. Okay. Um, like most people, I viewed last season as a throw out the wins and losses and let's figure out if this team is actually going somewhere right. from a developmental standpoint. I think you saw that a lot in what Tyrese Halliburton was able to do as the point man of this franchise underneath the full season of his belt. I like the accountability from Benedict Matherin being open and honest about, hey, there were some plays where my full energy wasn't, is it? I need to get my mindset back to where it should be as my development process comes along. And then, yeah, I mean, to add another hopeful foundational piece in Jairus Walker and plenty of financial free space to utilize in free agency leaves me very optimistic for what this team can do next year. Very good. Let's be optimistic and making folks some money, shall we? You ready to roll? I had Jimmy scrambling as he was finishing a thought and then say, hey, push this button, would you? Because obviously there are there's craftily put together messaging to, send, to indicate that we can make you some cash today. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, all baseball. We're going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Los Angeles Dodgers as they are in Colorado against the Rockies. Also going to take the New York Yankees to complete a series victory over the Oakland Athletics out in Oakland. And to close things off, they've been one of the more fun and surprising stories in baseball. We're going to take the Miami Marlins to continue their winning ways against the Boston Red Sox. 3-0 yesterday, 6-3 on the week. Those are today's plays of the day. Thank you, sir. I had just assumed when you said they were one of the best stories in baseball that you are talking about the Cincinnati Reds. But you are correct, even though the Marlins are um, a bit unlucky in geography as compared to the Reds, who are now sharing first place where they're a half game up on the Brewers after winning back-to-back games in Baltimore, fighting both the cute fella, as Jake would say, as well as fighting through rainstorms like all three days that they were at Camden Yards. Um, The Marlins do have a better record at 47-34, and but they are six and a half back of the Braves, and the Braves clearly by like five games have the best record in all of the National League and by six and a half, obviously, in the NL East. The bloom is not yet off the rose of the Cincinnati Reds, even after three consecutive losses. Wonderful to see them bounce back, from my perspective, with wins each of the last couple of nights. The betting folks know we have been riding the bandwagon of the Cincinnati Reds in betting lines and in money lines the last couple of days. Unable to keep that train cooking tonight because there's no action for the Cincinnati no. Reds. Do They'll not wager on the Reds tonight. <laughs> it will make you no money. I don't think you can lose money, but it will make you no money. Padres are in town this weekend. And then, not that this is a far flight, but seemingly curious that the Reds would go to Baltimore, then go home for a week weekend, and then go right back to D.C. as the Reds will play the Nationals on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday coming up this week.
might not even be time for a stop home. I mean, as quickly as, as that goes, obviously in today's sports society, you can make it very quick and efficient. But yeah, that's that's quite a uh, cross country touching all your coast to coast. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not. But again, they're, they're back home. It's just like, OK. And, and again, let's face it. You're not concerned with the travel budget if right. you play in Major League Baseball. You're you're doing okay financially, uh, usually as as a team. Even if your television money isn't getting to you in the way you, in the way you thought it might, it's just odd to go from Baltimore back to Cincinnati, yep. then back to DC again. It's a you can they're not going to bust there like the Cleveland Indians in Major League. It's a short flight. Just thought it was interesting. Milwaukee on the horizon too. So you got you're hitting all your points in terms of. I'm not I'm not sure be. though if Jimmy if if I am. Like sweating whom the Reds are playing in terms of like their battle for first place. Like I'm I'm just enjoying the ride. As you should. That the team is relevant and interesting and clearly is in need of some starting pitching. That would be the downfall of this group. Um, but yeah, some some pitching help would be good. And knowing that the team has acknowledged, hey, we are looking at trying to acquire pitching to get this young core into the playoffs. That's all I needed to hear. It is amazing what has happened in the span of 15 months from where else you're going to go to, hey, our team is young and dynamic and is fun to watch. Come back out to the ballpark, shall you? That's been great to see over the course of the last couple of weeks. 317-239-1070 is the telephone number. You can email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com or tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. Would love to chat it up with you. Again, final time that I'm in this chair, at least during this time frame for a couple of weeks, I get to enjoy a little bit of downtime. But that next season will be here um, in the not-too-distant future. I mean, you know, the practices were announced earlier this week. Colts training camp is now less than a month away. And by the time that gets hidden, dude, it's I I used to call that used to say this, that that once you got to the end of July, it was the start of the sports fiscal year. By the time you got to training camp, everything just cycled through again. And training camp's going to be a little bit shorter this year for the Colts because of going out to Philadelphia and practicing with the Eagles before that Thursday preseason game on August the 24th. And hey, I love the fact that the Colts are still one of the teams that takes their practices to a place where fans can easily gather and go enjoy them. You know, you're down to about a third of the teams that like literally practice off-site at this point. And the Colts, I think it's it's the right mix. Okay, For the players, you're not having to make this trip a couple hours away or someplace across the country. No, nah, it's in your backyard. But it's still separate from the facility. And fans can embrace the team. But I can also tell you, by the time that we get to like that last week of training camp, and most everybody is back in school by that point in time that, you know, crowds were a little sparse at the end of training camp last year. Packed for the night practices, packed for the early practices for everybody kind of is, is is back in the end of school routine. By the end of August, you know, it was a much smaller group. So I think timing window-wise, uh, that is good. Does that mean you're not worried about the circadian rhythm of players being impacted uh, 
this year? I'm not. Okay, I just want to make sure. No. Yeah, I was, I was a little <laughs> odd last year. Um, what was practice like? Practice was like at, uh, at, at, at noon. Yep. It's great. A lot of live shows we got to do for the midday uh, show out there. No, not not so much this year. Wasn't good for you know, like for my skin pigment. Uh, there was there was <laughs> and and you know, fat guy was sweating a lot on the sidelines. Hats were mandatory for the top of my bald head uh, during those practices. No, I I could go back to some morning practices. I'd be I'd be perfectly fine with that. Um, I'm old enough to be the you know back in my day guy. Uh, thinking about the two a days and covering both of those in the days out at Rose Holman and then like overlooking Cook Stadium and uh, pretty good view of the valley actually down there to be able to to watch that. Yes, things have changed just a little bit in my 20 plus years of covering the team. All right, Jimmy, what has your attention sports wise, whether it's tomorrow for the show, whether it's for the weekend? What are things you're like, hey, I know I'm talking about this on the show Tomorrow, next week, et cetera. Is it all NBA free agency, all Pacers? What else has your attention? I mean, a lot of it is going to be an outlook on Pacers free agency and the potential options that are realistic for them. You already outlined that earlier, Greg, and we've talked about it. As well as the weeks gone on, that top level of free agent market likely not obtainable for the Pacers. But honestly, with this year's class of free agents, that's not something that you should be necessarily mad about as a Pacers fan. It's not like in four or five years ago where maybe a Kevin Durant or further back than that, a LeBron James would have been available or a Carmelo Anthony. These are players that are proven stars, but they're on the back half of their careers and aren't really in that type of window where you feel like there'd be a mutual benefit there even if the Pacers could get on the table uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that as the weekend goes on uh, I've been following along like you have with the CONCACAF Gold Cup that's not as big of a storyline that we'll talk about tomorrow but just something that we're tracking and how, then- how is Brian knows soccer knowledge by the way you know I would say surface value guess minimal because we've never talked about it together um so you're thinking about debuting the saint kitts and nevis <laughs> recap on the show tomorrow is what you're telling me. something tells me not only that irritate brian but that might irritate I, others in the building i did not have much of a chance <laughs> to bring up saint kitts and what i would say nevis until the last say few days then hear the broadcasters go nevis and i go I guess I've been saying this wrong, <laughs> but but yes, for those that don't know what, what Jimmy and I are talking about, um, whenever I talk soccer, I try to make sure I bring in, uh, especially in a forum like this, bring everybody in the loop. So the Gold Cup is the every other year competition. Um, it is the largely North American, although if you're watching, you'll see that uh, Qatar is playing in it. Sure, there was some money that was changed hands for that to be for that to happen, but they played in it two years ago as a build up to the World Cup and seemingly liked it so much they are playing yet again uh, in 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 the Gold Cup this year. But this is the North American, the Concacaf, uh, every other year tournament. And so you've got the powerhouses, which right now, I'm not sure anybody's matching the old USA, given how they dispatched in a previous competition, Mexico as well as Canada, with relative ease in something that is called the CONCACAF Nations League. Try not to get too down into the weeds because it'll just lose you and confuse you. But the Americans played their A team in that, the guys that primarily play in Europe. In this event to give their European-based players a little more of a respite. They are largely playing their their number two or their number three kind of level players. 
A lot of guys that play in Major League Soccer. Some players who play overseas in Europe. A few guys that are a little bit younger. Um, but for the most part, this is kind of the B side. Well, you know, in, in the group that the U.S. is in, they played the dual island nation of St. Kitts and Nevis and beat them 6-0 last night. Uh, I have not seen the FIFA World Rankings. I'm trying to do this off of what my buddy John Strong uh, had to say uh, last night in the broadcast. I think we as a nation are currently rated 13th or somewhere in that vicinity. Um, I think St. Kitts and Nevis, which is great for them, is ranked like in the 130s. So the U.S. is at 11 in the world rankings. Uh, Let me see if I can quickly get you to St. Kitts and Nevis at 136 in the CONCACAF or in FIFA world rankings. So not surprisingly, 6-0 win for the USA last night. And that is probably far more time between noon and three than the powers would be would like for us to talk about this. Chris wants to change the subject. That's perfectly fine. Hello, Chris. How are you? Uh, not too bad, Greg. How you been? I'm good, sir. What do you have for us? Well, I just uh, figured I'd uh, I'd call in since I had the uh, the both of you on. Uh, I don't know if Jimmy told you or not. This is uh, this is Coach Stryker. Uh, hello, future South Florida special teams coach. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Um, yeah, you guys. I uh, was driving around earlier. I heard you guys talking about the whole uh, you know NFL and gambling thing. I think um, you know. The, the, I think the thing we're we're probably all thinking, or at least most of us are probably thinking, is you know what? It's it's you know we get the whole you know hypocrisy of you know NFL dra- brought to you by DraftKings and the kind of all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to feel sorry for guys who absolutely know the policy and choose to go against it anyways. Right. I mean, it's, it's again, you, you can see the, the uh, hey, you can't do this, but yet we're going to make money off of it. I, I understand that. But there are certain things that you simply know as part of your job, as part of your well-compensated job that you cannot do. And that is one of those things, especially when it comes to betting on your own team. Again, you are getting into, you know, like insider trading at that point. And especially when most of your bets are of the $25 to $50 range. And the bet that apparently was the red flag trigger bet was a $1,000 bet on a specific prop in which he won. And that is an immediate... That is an immediate recognition of, hey, there's a problem here. We have to act on this. And now Isaiah Rogers is no longer employed by the Indianapolis Colts. And we're playing in the National Football League for this year. And I'm not sure if he will again at this point. Chris, anything else for us, my friend? Yeah, I mean, it's not and it's not like it's a secret. I mean, we've been talking about this for how long? I mean, you're being a Reds fan. Pete Rose would be in the, right. the Hall of Fame if it weren't for this thing that we've been talking about for for, you know, since the 80s. I mean, it's 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 silly to think that anybody would go down that road and would feel the need to go down that road. But yet here we are. 
Well, so. again, uh, and, and you know what? It'll happen again too, Chris. I mean, this, uh, this, this will be a big deal for a few weeks. And I would imagine at some point in time this season or during the next offseason, there is another wave of this. And it's go, oh, by the way, we were serious about this. You can't <laughs> do it. Thanks, right. Chris. Appreciate you, buddy. And, and, and take care of yourself in Florida, all right? Hey, absolutely. Go Blackhawks. I think them getting Bedard. I know you guys aren't a hockey show, but getting uh, getting Bedard last night is going to be a huge deal for them. I, I, I've, I feign ignorance. I know they drafted him. I know that Carey Price didn't know the name of the guy who's picking for the Canadians. That's my knowledge of last night's NHL draft. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. 317-239-1070. Uh, you, can, you can also tweet to us at Greg Rakestraw. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. One bit of homework assignment that I will give you as we get ready to exit stage left. Uh, Today is the 40th anniversary of a very sad day. And a name that if you are Jimmy's age, you wouldn't know. Now, because of his favorite team that he's a fan of in the National Football League, he's only heard of this person. But a guy that was on the cusp of a lengthy and solid NFL career passed away trying to save the lives of three children on this date 40 years ago. And that is Joe Delaney. Joe drowned attempting to save three kids who had fallen, stumbled into a man-made pond uh, and were having trouble getting out of it or were not coming back up to surface. So Joe, even though he was not a, a great swimmer, he didn't intentionally sacrifice his life. And I am, um, I'm not quoting exactly, but basically said, if I don't come up, send somebody after me. He went in and tried to save those three kids. One of them, he helped to do that. Unfortunately, the other two met the same fate as Joe. Joe played two years in the National Football League, ran for over 1,200 yards in his, um, really, I think his only full season with the Chiefs because the 82 season was the strike season. But was his career going to be a Hall of Fame career? We have no idea. But he's in the Hall of Fame of life because of what he gave up trying to help others. So if you have not... Um, if you're not familiar with Joe's story, go look it up. Go learn about his story. Today is the 40th anniversary of his passing. I, I vaguely remember. I don't remember him as a player for the Chiefs, but I remember the story because I was six years old at the time in the summer of 83 when this happened. And obviously through the passage of time, details get lost. But it's one of the positives that we have on things like social media where a reminder is brought up. So you can remember the life and the legacy of somebody who gave his own trying to save others. Godspeed on the 40th anniversary of Joe Delaney. On that note, JMB is up next. Jimmy Cook, you have a great day tomorrow and the rest of the weekend as well. Thanks for listening. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.